Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Sill Johnson died last month. He was 85. Sill was a Chicago soul and blues singer. He was probably best known for his work on high records, the Memphis home of Ann Peebles and, of course, Al Green. Sill was a soul and blues singer, born and bred in Chicago. He was probably best known for his work on high records, the Memphis home of Ann Peebles and, of course, Al Green. In fact, he turned down a record deal that ended up going to Reverend Green. The songs Sill Johnson cut for High in Memphis were some of the best soul records of their time. Where Green's voice was light and romantic, Johnson's had weight and edge. And Johnson wasn't just a voice. He wrote some of his greatest tracks, too. Like this one, 1970s, Is It Because I'm Black? This I want to say to you, my sisters and my brothers. Right on, sister. Mm-hmm. Right on, brother. Dig this. If we keep on pushing y'all, oh, we got to make it a little bit further. We got to make it a little further. All we got to do is try, try, try. Over the years, hip-hop producers have feasted on Johnson's records. Take different strokes from 1968. Just that one song has been sampled literally hundreds of times by the Wu-Tang Clan, Kanye West, Jay-Z, Public Enemy, De La Soul, Eric B. and Rakim. I mean, at this point, I am basically just listing everyone who has ever cut a great rap record. But more than that, Syl Johnson was a career artist. He lived in Chicago, where he raised his daughter, Selena, a great soul singer in her own right. He made soul and blues records through his entire life. He never stopped working. I got the chance to interview Syl Johnson back in 2012. He was in his 70s, still gigging relentlessly. His albums had just been re-released by Numero Group. Johnson was whip-smart, funny, and, I'll say it, maybe a little cantankerous. I don't think I'll ever forget him giving me the business when I said he had never had a big hit song. Anyway... Seal Johnson will be sorely missed, but I'm grateful we'll always have his music. Here's my 2012 interview with Seal Johnson. Seal Johnson, it is such a joy to have you on Bullseye. Thank you for coming on the show. I want to talk about your early life before you were even a recording artist. Mm-hmm. Um, how old were you when you moved from the South to Chicago? Uh, about, I think about 12 years old. What were the circumstances of the move? Were your folks looking for work, or did you have family, other family moving up? Well, just like a migration, just like uh, the, the uh, children of Israel came across the Red Sea. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody was moving at the time. Uh, well, they came from uh, Jim Crowism and oppression, man, and went to Chicago and got jobs galore. At one time, the blacks in Chicago were the richest blacks in the world. 
What was it like for you? I mean, do you remember when you first, like literally when you first set foot in Chicago? Oh, yeah, man. I'm sitting right here now looking out the window where I just, but the building is torn down right now. And I rebuilt on this here same uh, street right here at the same, on the same lot that I came to, on the same place block on Calumet that I came to and got a yellow cab. And the uh, Magic Sam was sitting right next door there. You ever heard of him? Yeah, sure. And he was playing some kind of old regular guitar, but he was like playing ragtime music. And I just looked at him. I walked up. Damn, man, let me see the guitar. And he let me see it, and it was out of tune. I tuned it up, and I started hitting him with some muddy water, some howling wolf blues, man. He fell off the porch. The thing that I was that I was getting at is just, it seems like such a huge transition to me just to go from a life where, you know, you're basically living a country life. You're doing, you know, you and your family are doing country work, you know, field work and stuff. Mm-hmm. And you get off the train or the bus and you are in the city city. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, it looks kind of strange looking up at the buildings and stuff downtown Loop. Damn, it was fascinating. I said, wow. <laughs> okay. But there, uh, I was like a kid. I, you know, I had to go to school at the time. You mentioned Magic Sam was your neighbor. Right. The legendary Chicago uh, blues player. Yeah. If you were 12, this would have been late 40s, beginning of the 1950s when you were going through your adolescence. Yeah, 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 yeah. What what kind of music did you like to listen to? Holland Wolf and Lil' Walter. And Elmo Jane, I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to leave out past my broom. I'm gonna get up in the morning. I believe I'll dust my broom. I'm gonna quit the woman I love her. So my friends can have my room. That was one of my favorites. And John Lee Hooker, boogie children. Well, my mama don't let me stay out all day long. Boogie children. You know. What did your folks think about the fact that you were uh, that you were into blues music? Were they okay with that? Did they would they rather you were listening to church music? Man, that's all it was. It was just that's uh, either that or gospel, and I didn't like gospel. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like church, but I went to church. This is Chicago. By the time it was the mid fifties, late fifties, you could have been listening to. Uh, to the music that came out of gospel music in Chicago. You could have been listening to Sam Cooke or something. Darling, you send me Cupid, draw back your bow and let your arrow go straight to my loving heart. Or Jackie Wilson. Well, look at that, look at that, look at that, look at that. Ooh-wee. Look at that, look at that, look at that. Ooh-wee. The finest girl you ever want to meet. Those type of songs. Well, have you ever seen a girl for whom it's all you dip, for whom you fight for, die for, pray to God? She's so fine. She's so fine. 
Your earliest records, I, I hadn't heard your records from, you know, 1959, 1960, 1961 until uh, I was listening to them in preparation for this interview. Mm-hmm. And your singing at the very beginning of your career actually reminded me a lot of Jackie Wilson. Were you a big fan of his at the time? Mm, yes. He was so clever. He was like, mm, he was great. And later on in the, up in the... In the mid to upper 60s, I got a chance to travel with him with my band. And uh, he was fascinating. He was an amazing mm-hmm. performer. I mean, the, <laughs> yes. the passion of the man. Right. right. He's, he's so, he was like Fred Astaire or somebody on the stage. Or Sammy Davis, he had charisma. And he also had, I mean, this is something that I think is interesting about his style of singing is that you know, I mean, nobody, nobody before or since has ever been able to sing like Sam Cooke. But you know, S- Sam Cooke had that incredible sweetness in his voice, and right? Jackie Wilson, Jackie Wilson had that sweetness. But Jackie Wilson would also, you know, scream your ear off. <laughs> right, 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 right. I think that's where I got my little scream from on Sergeant Tim and Different Strokes. <laughs> By the time you started recording in the late 1950s, early 1960s, uh-huh. straight blues music wasn't really selling a lot of records. You know, it was yeah. it was not the thing, and the the sort of l- late 60s revival of blues was was pretty far away. Mm-hmm. You can still hear that rawness of Chicago blues in in your vocals, even in those early 60s recordings when. Everybody else who was making soul music was trying to be kind of, you know, trying to be as sophisticated as possible. Right. I wonder if that was, you know, if that was something you were thinking about, that that you wanted to retain a little bit of that that grit. Uh, Somewhat, but I think it was just my style. But I wanted to hold on to the roots, you know. I put rhythm to the blues, and I, I I studied a little music. And then I found out how different chord changes, like, you know, a six chord, a raised nine, augmented chord, diminished chord, and a seventh chord. <laughs> well, blues use seven and straight triads, and that was it for the blues. But then there was some minor, I mean, the relative minor, the two minor, I mean, was, oh, wow. And uh, out of those chords, uh, you could pick out a melody and it, it was soulful, but then I mixed it with kind of soul, and I mixed it with blues and gospel, and then they start calling that type of music soul music or R&B, like the young people put rhythm to the blues, and I was one to put rhythm to it. I took a song called Teardrops, and there, uh, I used the blues changes, but I kind of switched them around, and I used the relative minor. Since I know for you. 
We've got more to get into with the late Syl Johnson. Stick around. We'll be back in a minute. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. If you're just joining us, we are listening back to my conversation with the late Syl Johnson. He was a singer, songwriter, and guitarist. He recorded hit versions of Take Me to the River and wrote the songs Is It Because I'm Black and Different Strokes. He was also one of the most frequently sampled recording artists in the history of hip-hop. Syl Johnson died last month at age 85. Let's get back into my conversation with him from 2012. You were producing most of your records in the 60s as well as being the vocalist, right? All of them. I, 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 was, uh, I was in England in the mid-90s, I mean 70s when I started touring, and uh, some guy, a British guy, told me I made a serious mistake for not keeping on producing my music instead of letting Willie Mitchell produce a lot of my music. He really thought that was foul. He said, I should have kept producing it. And I, re- I remember that. I want to talk about your song, Come On Saga To Me. Tell me a little bit about writing and recording this record. I used the chords that they use in the blues, but I didn't go with the change and I put a beat to, oh, oh, suck it to me, oh, oh. You know, I followed with the idea. And I made the uh, the main chord a minor instead of just a regular triad a major chord so <laughs> that's that was the difference and put a funky groove to it instead of putting the balloon i put it and that's why the hip-hop was like my stuff so much jay-z and kanye west just sampled uh, uh different strokes and uh it went big on the watch the throne <laughs> The groove, the groove on "Come On Saka to Me" that uh, that came out shortly before Different Strokes. I mean, it is a it is a powerful it is a powerful record. I mean, I think that's part of why those songs have been so widely sampled in hip hop. Uh-huh. Is because you have that really that really powerful drum sound. You hip it up, you you jazz it up, and then the people can dance, you know. And you do them jiggy jiggy jig dances to it. So, uh, you know, that was just like the younger person thinking, uh, uh, um, graduating in the music and uh, um, putting another, uh, because uh, just to do the day to dome, but da 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 dome. There were more to go. 
a dump, 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 dump. There was more to. That was just like simple. So we uh, younger people put a a nice uh, funky pocket to it, and uh, whoa, it was all good. I want to play um, Is It Because I'm Black, which uh, you recorded at the end of the 1960s. Wow, what a song being sampled by hundreds of people right now. The dark brown shades of my skin Only add color to my tears That splash against my hollow bones That rocks my soul Looking back over my false dreams That I once knew Wondering why my dreams never came true Because I'm black uh-huh. Somebody tell me What can I do This song didn't come out in, in 1972 When um, everyone was cutting You know, so-called message records It was, frankly, before everyone was doing that Well, I would say I, I, Is it because I'm black is like a mirror? You can say, is it because I was this or because they were Jews and, and Hitler was also mean to them? Or is it because I was a, she's a female and she make, you make more? You know, that's the type of meaning to that song. It wasn't militant, so I escaped from trying to be a militant guy because at the time, I really played for um, different races of people, especially white folks in Chicago. The north side, the south side was blacks and R&B music, but the west side was blues, and I didn't play the west side too much. The song's very sad. So ah. it, it sounds sad. Yeah. So I'm like, uh, I thought I was like an actor at the time with my vocals and my my interference to get my point across. But I, I didn't mean harm to anyone. I just asked a question. And like the stable singer, singer said, why am I treated so bad? But I think mine was more profound. It partic- addressed a particular people at the time you had you had had an offer from Willie Mitchell to sign with high records in the late 60s that didn't come through right um tell me about that before we before we talk about the one that did oh boy they yeah, made me a, a big offer and i sort of like drug my feet on it 
And when I wanted to accept it, I was coming from New Orleans. I came through, and he said, well, we made another deal at the time. And we signed a young guy by the name of Al Green. So he wouldn't make that same offer no more, and I passed it up. At the time, you had gone through with Twilight and Twinight Records, which was your label through most of the 60s. It it seems like a, a kind of extended period of real difficulty with a business partner who ended up getting in payola trouble and put his secretary in charge of the label. Right. Oh, you know about that, right? When you did sign with Willie Mitchell and High Records, what were the circumstances? I was fascinated on the the work that they did with this guy, Al Green. He was one of the underrated. Well, he sold a lot of records and well, he's one of the biggest ever that sold records to blacks. No one ever sold records like him. No one. Not even Michael Jackson. He was one of the greatest sellers of all times. No one. He broke the Guinness Book of Records selling music to blacks, and he also crossed over big as well. Soul music was, at the time, I mean, it still is to some extent, urban music is in in general a very kind of regional business, and you were an established act. You were based in Chicago. You know, you were a grown-up. And you were 10 years older than Al Green, and High was based in Memphis, Couple thousand miles away from Chicago, so it was a uh uh-uh, five hundred and eighty miles. Five hundred eighty miles. So, right, but still quite a ways. I mean, a world away. Right, right, right. So, um, it 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 was a it must have been a big decision. I mean, it's a it, it's a big transition one way or the other. I went. I should have gone with the Jerry Wexler. He wanted me to come and and uh, record with Atlantic. I'm surprised to hear you say that. I've heard you say that you thought it was a mistake to sign with High. and, and It was. Tell me why. Well, I mean, look, the focus was Al Green, man. Right. You couldn't focus on me, and uh, it was just that simple. At the time, I had a pretty big hit on Take Me to the River. Otherwise, I wouldn't have went on American Bandstand and Soul Train and singing with Dick Clark and uh, Don Cornelius. It was a big hit. Well, let's take a listen to Take Me to the River by my guest, Syl Johnson. Tell me a little bit about your recording process. Um, when you were working with High, how is, it, how is it similar and how is it different to when you were working yourself? That particular song... Uh, Willie Mitchell called me at Cunard International Hotel in London, England. He said, I wrote a song for you. I said, oh, yeah. So I was a little reluctant. (laughs) Okay. I said, okay. He said, it's a smash, man. And uh, he said, I I was coming in two weeks home. He said, well, I'm going to send it all over to your house. So he sent it over, and my wife pulled it out, and we listened to it. And she took a, a, a tablet, a, a calendar, and she wrote across the calendar. When first time she heard it, smash, total smash. 
So I did it. But he, Al Green wrote the song, him and Teeny Hodges. He said, with me in mind, he said he wanted Willie Mitchell to uh, separate our sound somewhere because the sound that Willie had started using with me was running together with Al Green's type of song. So it turned out so good, Al Green did it himself. And he made a big hit out of it. Talking Heads and Tina Turner and Three Dog Nights and woo, on and on and on and on. We'll wrap up with Syl Johnson after a quick break. Stay with us. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Well, Manolo, we have a show to promote. It's called Dr. Game Show. It's a family-friendly podcast where listeners submit games and we play them with callers from around the world. Oh, sounds good. New episodes uh, happen every other Wednesday on MaximumFun.org. It's a, it's a fast and loose oasis of absurd innocence and naivete. And Are you writing a poem? No, and just saying things from my memory. And uh, it's a nice break from reality. <laughs> Is that, are we allowed to say that? I don't know. It sounds bad. It comes with a 100% happiness guarantee. It does not. <laughs> Come for the games and stay for the chaos. This is Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. We're listening back to my conversation with the late soul singer, Syl Johnson. I think one of the reasons that hip-hop producers um, have sampled your record so much and a lot of the other high records so much, Ann Peebles' record so much, Al Green's record so much. Not that much. They sampled them because I led them over there to their... But they were sampling me long before they jumped into uh, the high stuff. They said, oh, we followed, the RZA followed me on over to the high stuff. And then the other hip hoppers started jumping into the high stuff. Don't you get it? I agree. I think they have an incredible, an incredibly specific sound. And I wonder, uh, I wonder whether... I think you must have been. I think you must have been really focused, you and to some extent Willie Mitchell, engineering and producing in creating that specific sound, the way those records feel. Well, I'm listening here. I'm gonna take this away from you. I taught them the uptown sound. Uh, Tina Hodges, Leroy Hodges, uh, Al Bulldog, Howard Grimes. And Charles Hodges, I taught them. I recorded with them before Al Green. And I taught them the uptown sound, the uptown Chicago licks. I did. Describe to me what that what that sound was. What well, was- you know, really Mitchell didn't like He kind of resented that groove, man. He wanted a straight down home. He got the difference. Mm-hmm. Not saying that he wasn't good. He had a good groove, but he had a, a down home type of groove. 
when I had an uptown uh, uh, hip hop shop, very simple. It's not hard to figure out. I taught the musicians, Leroy, Charles, Teeny, and uh, Bulldog, the uptown sound. I was traveling with, uh, O.V. was traveling with me at the time. It was pretty hot. We were doing this chilling circuit. The singer O.V. right, said, you're referring to. He said, what are we called? He said, you'll be a member. I'm gonna come by and hear me record. So I went, <laughs> he started recalled. <laughs> I went by and, and I liked the band. So I went down there and I cut, um, I said, baby. You hear the different? You wire your dresses too. You hear it? And then I cut. You get that. Any way the wind blows, you get that Al Green sound, right? Sure. But Al didn't know that he never, he had never seen or heard them. I mean, he might have heard them, but he was nowhere near high at the time. There's something to my ear about about that, the combination of that drive and something that maybe is Memphis about laying back a little bit, being almost behind a little bit. Yeah. Kind of a country thing. Yeah, when they were Chicago, musicians went to Chicago, they got a little slicker. <laughs> they put a little bebop, hip-hop, like the musicians went from Mississippi to New York and they started playing bebop and hip-hop, and then they changed it into modern jazz. They might start elevating and getting slicker. It's the same way when you come out of Mississippi cotton fields, you go to Chicago, you you get up, you get you you hip hop it up. So that's why the hip hop was like. That's why they named it hip hop, because my name my music was close to bebop. You heard of bebop? Sure. Okay, that's New York bebop, hip hop, hippity hop hop hop. Willie Mitchell didn't go for that at the time. You remember the last time you threatened to leave? I did. I wasn't signed with High at the time. I cut that for my own label, Twilight, with those musicians. I went back and recorded them myself. My money, out of my pocket. Get the picture. Well, so I, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on our show. It was really a pleasure to have you. Well, man, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Sil Johnson from 2012. Let's go out on one more song from him. Maybe my favorite. I hear the love chimes. I hear the love chimes. And that's a clear. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California. At my house, I just put together a swing set. It's actually not a set. It's one swing. And it's not the kind with a seat. It sort of looks like a UFO. 
Anyway, kids don't seem to use it that much. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producer, Jesus Ambrosio. Production fellows at Maximum Fun are Richard Roby and Valerie Moffat. We get help booking from Mara Davis. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. If you need some chill beats to study to or whatever, you can actually download music from Bullseye on Bandcamp. It's called Target Practice, interstitial music from NPR's Bullseye, and it's pay what you want. So, uh, you know, whether you just want to drop some bars on an instrumental or hang out at your house and feel chill, go grab that DJW music. Dan's a good dude. Our theme song is Huddle Formation by The Go Team. Thanks to The Go Team. Thanks to their label, Memphis Industries, for letting us use that song. Bullseye is on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook as well. You can find us there. Uh, You can give us a follow. Hear all our interviews. I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. I hear the love chime, Tina, Tina, that's a clear sign, Peter, Tina, Tina, you know it must be my time. I'm out of key, but that's okay. You get the picture. (laughs) So that was the type of thing we did in those days.